All right, everybody, don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they're located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. Ascentia CPA has a team of new-gen chartered professional accountants that are dedicated to advancing companies using expertise combined with emerging technologies. The team at Ascentia will implement the latest accounting technologies, allowing you to not only run a business, but to run a smart business that will excel in your industry. Their focus is to provide growth-centric, value-added, and timely accounting services for businesses, as well as individuals across Canada. Unlike standard accounting firms, by embracing cloud-based software, the team at Ascentia will provide you with real-time accounting information on a secure platform that is accessible anywhere at any time, allowing you to make better informed decisions and gain more controlled overview of your financial data. The reliability and expertise you will experience with the professionals at Ascentia will assist you in the preparation of corporate and personal tax returns, financial statements, bookkeeping, government filings, tax and estate planning, as well as business advisory services. For more information on the advantages of online accounting and to book a complimentary meeting online, be sure to visit ascentiacpa.ca. We are I. Okay, everybody, this is our our monthly podcast between Bridget and I, and I'm just going to throw the disclaimer out there right now that there's probably going to be some breaks in the feed because anybody who's using Zoom these days knows that there's 
a lot of interruption on Zoom and just with all the, the bandwidth that's being spread across the internet right now and how they're dialing the speeds down. Um, so, so bear with us if there's breaks and pauses and we'll do our best to be able to loop conversations uh, back around. Uh, so Bridget and I, we were just talking about how originally uh, the CDC may have said that masks didn't help, uh, you know, maybe for like a couple of reasons, making sure there was enough masks for healthcare workers, uh, but also, you know, like the right masks being available. Um, and also we get a lot, a lot of our masks from China and Asian countries. So obviously the supply mm -hmm. chain is broken there. So um, right. you just kind of pick up on the conversation there, Bridget, from where we ended off and we're just going to start rolling things out. Yeah, that sounds good. So, I mean, I think that they don't truly know all they need to about how this disease is spread. And there's conflicting information about how it's actually harder to catch it from touching surfaces. And then other information says that that was I, at least originally one of the primary transmission modes. But what we do know is like, if you ever watch one of those shots of somebody even breathing up against some kind of a board sometimes they make those visuals or they'll have like they'll make it so it's really cold in the room where they're filming or outside and you can see someone's breath you've seen your own breath in the winter and just if you sigh how far that breath goes and this virus is actually in the breath so yeah. you don't have to be coughing and sneezing so to me all along i've I've sort of um, assumed that they didn't really want to press us to wear masks because they were afraid that the inundation from retail of the consumption of masks was going to completely obliterate healthcare workers' ability to have access to them. So um, in addition to that, there was a concern that people wouldn't know how to take them on and off properly and that in doing so, they would touch the outside of the mask, then touch their face and contaminate themselves. But if you know how to take the mask on and off properly and you wash your hands before and after um, for 20 seconds briskly with soap and water, um, there really shouldn't be that concern. Um, so if you do have masks, I mean, I've thought all along we should be wearing them because I don't know for sure if even those rectangular surgical masks are going to filter this particular virus i've read somewhere that they can but just common sense would dictate in and of itself that the more people that are covering their mouth and their nose just by breathing they'd at least be reducing the viral load that ends up in the space around them when they're walking down the street when they're shopping in the grocery store or whatever it is so um so the cdc is starting to recommend that um people use something whether it's a scarf or whatever it is to cover their mouth and their nose when they go out into a public space and they're saying that the primary purpose for that is to protect other people from you if you're a potential carrier even if you're asymptomatic but i strongly feel that it can decrease the viral load of other people breathing out and other people sneezing and coughing, although the particles will probably still get through, especially a scarf or something like that, at least it's going to minimize the exposure. And um, one theory for why younger people that are apparently uh, fit with no underlying health conditions still getting seriously or critically ill from this is that there could be a potential 
high dosage of exposure that their immune system is having a really difficult time managing and that that's why they get so sick. So anything we could do to not only completely re completely eliminate our exposure to it, but if we have to go out into a public space to reduce the potential viral load we could be exposed to is worth a shot, is worth trying to do. So I, I kind of got like a, a, well, a few questions, but I'm going to start off with the one and just get your opinion. Like I'm starting to see more regularly all the time. So um, I guess kind of like the three avenues that I seem to be seeing quite frequently are the rectangular surgical masks, but they say, you know, like aren't as effective because obviously there's the big gaps in them. So like, right. you know, obviously the water vapor can still get in from the sides, sure. the top and the bottom. You know, yep. if you cough or sneeze in it, they say it gives people a false sense of security because they're coughing or sneezing into the mask, but it says there's so many gaps, it's still getting out anyway, and they're not right. using their elbow pit like what they should because they don't feel like they need to because they have the masks on. And then you see like the actual like particle mask where it fits a lot uh, better around, right. but you can see the people aren't pinching like the nose insert on them. Right. So it's not even, again, performing that vacuum around where you, like men might not be clean shaven. But I think kind of like what to me is almost <clears throat> the more concerning one is I'm starting to see this, this massive population growth of these reusable masks and yeah. just wondering how people are managing that, you know, like, what are they doing? Like, are you sanitizing it? Like when you get home, like as soon as you get home, like every time, again, like you said, how are you disembarking this mask off of yourself? Like, is it the first thing you do? Do you take it off outside when you get like, like, I feel like the reusable masks are going to be an exacerbated problem. They become such a carrier for this virus. Right. And then, you know, like just to leave it in people's hands that they're, they're cleaning these things properly or, you know, because then that essentially is going to affect their, their whole house and like everybody that might be in that, that household by using these reusable masks. Um, like what, what's your opinion on these reusable masks? Am I just uh, like acting crazy here or does it seem? No, I, mean, I think that's all really thoughtful you know, questioning. And the other thing with the reusable masks is, or with any mask, leaving it on long term, is that this virus sits in the throat. And it sits, it can be there for days before it gets anywhere else in the body. And so if you have a mask on for a really long time, you could be kind of breathing the virus into the mask and then re-inhaling it. So that's a concern as well. So these reusable masks should. Never use like just like when we go out to the store, it goes, we're going to freeze up here. Um, just like when we go out to the store and, and come home and have to hop in the shower, wash our hair, wash our face and throw our clothes right in the laundry these reusable reusable masks should go right in the laundry as well and then having the washer on a high heat setting and then putting things in the dryer that high heat can kill the virus mm -hmm. so um so people really need to be mindful they need to be mindful of 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 reusing any mask and um there are varying uh stats for how long the virus lives on certain materials and I don't know what the stat is for either one of those cloth or 
whatever neoprene masks or whatever they're using versus a a regular paper quality mask that they use like for the N95s or for the surgical masks. But um, I would say if, if, if someone were to reuse even one of those masks that they would need to have a rotation that they're going through and leave the mask for like days yeah. and not even touch it. Don't go near it before I mean, like at least four days, right? Like you think you'd want to yeah. leave that mask and you would think like that four days to me in my mind would almost be like that four days would start after that mask had dried out. Like you think that that right. four days wouldn't start well, it was still moist from, you know, breathing in and out, which, you know, you brought up a great point. As soon as I stopped talking last time, I thought that same thing too, or, you know, people are inundating themselves with the virus potentially wearing these masks too, because right. they are recirculating that same air. And then, you know, like once those masks become saturated, like they only can hold so much moisture, you know, like yeah. you said, you're just kind of recirculating that virus. I wonder if that is going to cause any compounding problems with people wearing these masks more because they're just, if they be, are yeah. affected with it, that they just get overwhelmed by it. Because um, the second part that you brought too, that, you know, people in like the fitness industry or, you know, like athletes, you know, like younger people getting it. Well, you know, the things that kind of come to my mind there, maybe you can expand on these is, you know, like there's, um, there's quite a few people, you know, that, um, you know, have sport induced asthma, you know, so respiratory conditions that don't realize it, you know, so I wonder like how that comes into play. Um, do seasonal allergies, because it does affect like the respiratory system, like, you know, do seasonal allergies like exacerbate the symptoms of COVID-19 or like, you know, are you more susceptible to getting worse symptoms if you have, are affected by seasonal allergies um, to a lot greater extent, you know, um, where's like this synergy there? Uh, and then also if for people, you know, say like CrossFit athletes are notorious for this, but I guess, you know, a lot of people working out in general, um, they're severely overtrained and not realizing it or not wanting to admit it or not understanding the science of overtraining, which is you know, severely compromising their immune system. So would one of these people who's seemingly to be very healthy, but is extremely overtrained, be a lot more susceptible to advanced symptoms of COVID-19 as well? Right. Well, of course, there are no studies for any of this yet. So anything I say is going to be conjecture in my own personal opinion from what I know at this point and from my experience with Chinese medicine. Um, What I would say about the I have suspected that there could be exactly what you said, some exercise-induced asthma that the person doesn't even know about. Mm-hmm. There could be another uh, autoimmune disease process that the person hadn't had done. Things going on inside their body that they don't know about that are making them more susceptible. There could be people that have a dormant Lyme or other co-infection that their immune system's been able to stifle and then it has to deal with the coronavirus as well, which is potentially causing issues. We don't know yet, Uh, but those are all really, you know, reasonable questions to have. And uh, so I think the safest thing to do is to assume that no one is immune and that we all have to take precautions um, regardless of, of what state of health we think we're in. The other thing is that you mentioned, the last thing you mentioned is uh, with the overtraining. And overtraining 
anything you do, burning the candle at both ends, not getting enough sleep at night, anything that you do that weakens your system is going to make you more susceptible to an illness, whether it's this or something else. That's just from a Chinese medicine standpoint, this is definitely one of the things that we focus on when we are even designing an herbal formula or an acupuncture protocol for someone. We look at the strength of the person's body. We look at the strength of their immune chi, the balance of it. We look at the strength of their digestion, which is the bedrock for immunity. And we look at their, their like foundational essence, the strength of that, when we're looking at them as an entire unit, mind, body, spirit. Um, so that, of course, is always taken into account, always. And um, from a Chinese medicine standpoint, yes, that, that overtraining piece that you asked specifically about could be draining that person's essence it could be depleting their kidneys and so from a chinese medicine standpoint yes that would definitely be a risk factor then you asked about allergies so with allergies an allergy is like an autoimmune response right so your body is is hyper sensitive to specific triggers like a pollen for example and so there's more inflammation that gets created and then more mucus secretion that arises as a result. So that creates an imbalance in the body can make it more difficult for the body to deal with something else on top of that. Um, with allergies, it's tricky too, because if there's a lot of phlegm and mucus, then and the person's already sneezing and coughing, even if they're asymptomatic for COVID, if they have the coronavirus in their system, then they're going to be sneezing and coughing that out, you know, before they even have the symptomatic phase. So they're not just breathing it out. So that can make them even more, uh, make other people around them even more susceptible, theoretically speaking. Um, another thing with this is that the hyper response of the immune system is a primary problem, at least in the later stages of the disease, especially for people who get more of a moderate to a severe case. So what ends up happening is that the body gets so overwhelmed with the sneaky pathogen <laughs> that's like starting to fill the lungs that, um, it sort of goes into hyperdrive and starts almost attacking itself. It's this cytokine storm of the, uh, the, our own immune system, not knowing what else to do. It just goes off the rails. And that, that is a serious problem for people in the hospital. Um, I don't know how early on that happens. I don't know if that's present. Uh, the, the, that cytokine storm, I don't think is present till later on, but I don't know, you know, the degree to which the autoimmune piece of this, the piece where the body actually is starting to attack itself is a problem in milder cases. But I do know that that is a problem in, 
in some of the later cases. And, and this is, um, and this is, this brings up another point. So in Chinese medicine, the crux of the medicine is basically how do we create an internal environment that is balanced to the point that we are not susceptible to external pathogenic influences. And how do we create such a balanced internal environment that we're not generating our own internal imbalance somehow? So as a part of nature, we are no different than the environment around us. Everything in existence is made up of the five elements, including our bodies. And they can, they're in a constant dance, they're in constant flux, and they're always trying to keep each other in balance. And so how do we, when we look at a person, when we observe their tongue, take their pulse, how do we ascertain how to get them back internally into a greater state of balance? The idea in both Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine and Eastern medicine in general is that if there is no imbalance, if there are no excesses in the body, if the chi is flowing properly, if the vitality is full enough, then there should not be any space for a pathogen to enter. So that's, that's, that's one piece of it. So just like in, we have germ theory, we know that, um, I think that I'm freezing up here. We know that there are bacterias and pathogens of viral nature or fungal nature that can either overgrow in our systems or like with the coronavirus, infect the system and, and multiply and create illness. So that same theory, although not focused on in Eastern medicine, is present. Throughout history, China has undergone many, many instances of plagues. And this coronavirus is considered another plague from a Chinese medicine standpoint. There is an epidemic branch of Chinese medicine that focuses on not just germ theory, but how to get the person's internal environment into harmony so that it is not a good host for that particular pathogen. And so from a Chinese medicine standpoint, this pathogen has a very strong component of dampness to it. And dampness is sticky. And this virus binds very easily to the cells that it's infecting, more easily than most other viruses do. And that is, that's, that's part of the nature of dampness. And as a damp pathogen, it also, actually it's considered a toxic plague pathogen, not just a pathogen, but a toxin, which is even more severe, even more virulent. It can block the channels. It can block the channels. And it can block communication between cells and tissues. So when I said earlier that it's like this, it's kind of sneaky, that's what I mean. It's got this slithery, damp quality to it where it can infiltrate and stick and hang out. 
And so what's it doing when it gets in the body? It's sticking in the throat and it's kind of hanging out there. And that's a, that's an aspect of damp that it's something that is just going to linger and it's, it's going to move slowly. This thing moves slowly. It's going to appear to come and go. This thing, it, there, it, it moves in waves. You know, you, somebody with a somewhat mild case can have symptoms for a few days and then all of a sudden they'll wake up and the fever's gone and they start to feel better and then they go to exercise or something and whammo, they get hit with another wave of it. It lasts a long time. Dampness is difficult to eradicate from the system. So when you, getting back to the allergy piece, when you have allergies, you've got more dampness in your system because you've got more heat and inflammation and the natural response to the of the body to that heat and inflammation is to create more mucus and dampness because it's trying to cool the tissue down and protect it but also push out whatever pathogens are in there so is it possible that um the allergy mucus might be helping to push it out i guess you could say it is in certain circumstances if the mucus is a certain consistency and, and it's getting out of the body but overall it's a more damp environment. And so what Chinese medicine practitioners are trying to do right now is to help people to understand the nature of dampness and to treat with herbal remedies, to treat with preventative remedies, even before somebody comes down with symptoms, to help that person's body be less damp, to help it be less of a sticky environment for this sticky pathogen to adhere to, and to help that person's body to be able to better overcome the pathogen if it does get infected with it. Um, so uh, part of the dampness piece is to tonify the digestion. So looking at how strong is the quality of that person's digestion. Um, if the person's digestive potency is weak, then there's the predisposition for things to not get metabolized perfectly in their system. And that leads to the accumulation of more dampness. We call it ama in, in Ayurveda or toxins. And so that's another main vehicle that we can work through to help make the person's system more resilient is to follow the dietary lifestyle guidance that's offered to us from thousands of years of trial and error in living through things like this and to apply it to our modern lives and to uh, really take care of ourselves, mind, body, spirit on every level that we can, because any bit of wellness that we can create for ourselves is a better situation for our internal environment than, um, than the opposite of that so what are some of the things that people can do like at home or like what are some of the foods they can eat or you know like what are some of like the herbal remedies they could take or look at buying or purchasing um you know to help kind of combat the the dampness in their body so there first and foremost i would say to start with the actual guidance piece points that underlie uh, healthy dietary um, habits. And even before talking about the foods and supplements, if someone is overeating, 
that is going to foster dampness in their system down if they do it on a regular basis, especially if someone's eating when they're upset, if someone is eating at irregular mealtimes. So it's, it's very important, even though a lot of people are home from work right now to still maintain some sort of a schedule and have a regular eating schedule and eating things like thinking about their belly being only 80% full of food and fluids or a third solid food, a third liquid, meaning soups or broths or sauces and a third air. Those are two different ways you can look at it. Either way, you don't want to be eating until you're stuffed. Okay. Yeah. So that's like huge. Um, just you taking that sip of water made me think of this. I remember back in the eighties, we were encouraged at least if we wanted to lose weight to drink a cup of, or a glass of ice water before you eat. Well, don't do that because it's been scientifically proven that iced foods and fluids when consumed, inhibit the enzymatic activity that occurs in the small intestine. So by doing a lot of water before you eat or doing iced foods and fluids anytime, you can be diminishing your body's ability to best break things down and absorb the nutrition from those things. So that's- And that was like a huge thing that people say like, Oh, like fill up on water before you eat, right? You know, like drink like a huge glass of water or a couple glasses of waters, whether it's ice water or not, you know, right. and just drink all this water to kind of fill up on water so you eat less food. Like that that was like a pretty common like dietary hack from the, the olden days, right? Right, right. And so, and that's just from an Eastern medicine standpoint, that's one of the best things you can do to damage your agni or your digestifier or your spleen chain is to have iced food and fluids at any time of year, even in the summer. But let's just focus on right now, because that can feel overwhelming to people that love iced tea and lemonade and ice cream and all that stuff and ice water. Um, Focusing on right now, having things that are room temperature or, or warm or hot is the best thing that we can do. Increasing the beverages that we're drinking that are hot, because this virus doesn't like it 80 degrees and above. So if we're uh, drinking hot water and hot teas, that can flush anything that's in the back of the throat down into the esophagus instead of having it linger and aerosolize and end up in the trachea and in the lungs. So hot at regular mealtimes, leaving space, leaving space in the gut when we eat, eating more slowly. Those are all really important things. Not eating late at night. That's also important. Um, Not having the iced drinks, not overdoing it on raw foods. Maybe if you've got really strong digestive capacity, you know, a salad a day might not be the worst thing in the world, but salads, raw foods in excess for most people are going to further like hamper their agni or their digestifier. So we want to be eating things that are not too heavy and that are easy to assimilate. So those things tend to be 
soups and broths and stews, kanjis or gruels, um, kitchari in, in the Indian tradition. So things that are cooked and that are easy to chew and digest. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves <laughs> a good bowl of kanji. I know that, that I do. Things like that when people tell me to eat them, like that's pretty pretty easy for me to eat as a nice big right. bowl of kanji for sure. And that's what they're giving people that can eat orally in the hospital in China is they're giving them kanji. Mm-hmm. They're giving them Chinese herbs and they're giving them kanji with, I think, ginger in it. What kind of herbs are they giving people in China right now? I know I posted that thing on my social media uh, accounts and stuff saying that, you know, Beijing is really focusing on, you know, like implementing traditional Chinese, you know, herbs and Chinese medicine into, into their protocols. Um, you know, like what are some of the things that you think that they would be, you know, like implementing, you know, to in, uh, in the hospitals and, you know, to people who are showing signs of COVID-19? Like what would be some of the herbs that they would be using? Some of the herbs that they're, so first I need to say that the herb formulas, if somebody makes it into the hospital, those herbs are going to be individualized based upon what's going on with that person. And this thing can have, can run the gamut of symptoms. You can have diarrhea, you can be constipated, you can be vomiting, you can have a rash, you can, there are things that, you know, we aren't getting that exposed to as far as symptomatology goes that are showing up and everyone's manifesting this thing differently. So the herbal formula is going to be changed based upon that person's strength, digestive capacity and symptoms. Because again, what we want to do is create an environment that is not habitable for the virus to continue to replicate. The other thing that they're doing with the herbs is ameliorating some of the side effects of the Western meds that people are getting. So antivirals, if they're still even doing that over there right now, I don't know. Antivirals are very cold on the system. So we need to make sure that that coldness doesn't damage um, some of the warmer processes in the body that we need to have functioning optimally in order to uh, decrease and eliminate the fluid that builds up. So um, the other thing is that at different stages of this, you need different formulas. So some people are getting a different formula that night than they had that morning even that's how much it this thing changes and needs to be kept up with so like when the original SARS thing happened back in 2003 everybody was running out and buying isatis fruit and all over China there was no isatis fruit and even here it was hard to get um and but that was a different pathogen and it responded well to that now this pathogen is not responding well to that so people may remember a status root and then they go out and get it and they take it and it's not really going to help the only thing it might do is further inhibit that person's internal environment from being able to deal with this thing because um, for one reason the other nature of this pathogen is that it has a cold aspect to it So we have to be careful about the cold thermogenically. Everything is is categorized as either cold, warm, hot, or neutral. Every medicinal, every food. And 
So we need to be careful thermogenically that these formulas are not completely cold because the antivirals are cold and a lot of the antiviral herbs are cold. And so we're, we don't just throw that at somebody right off the bat because we don't like immediately want to go in there and, and diminish their Agni or their digestifier because the digestifier is what helps to transform the dampness in the person's system. So they need that capability to be strong. And so we don't want to drain that natural heat and fire from the body because that is what we need to help transform the dampness and to eliminate it. So at different stages of the illness, you need different herbs. Um, and so it like preventatively, um, they're giving some of the herbs that they might give to like even a mild case just to keep the dampness down. One of the, one of the main ones that I'm seeing is patchouli. Okay. So, um, doesn't smell as, as strong as the essential oil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, that's in a lot of the formulas. Um, and I think I, a lot of people have a, an association with that smells like, you know, only because it is in a lot of essential oil formulas and like right. people typically gravitate towards the most that they, they like the smell of, um, yeah. it does have it in it, right? It's one of the main ingredients. So, yeah. 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 So like in the prevention formula that I formulated, I've taken depend, there are different hospitals in China have different formulas they're not all very different from one another there just might be a couple of tweaks in ingredients for the most part unless it's late stage the treat well even in late stage the treatment strategy is the same it's just a matter of when to give those formulas in which circumstances so um so there are some heat clearing herbs that are used in later stages uh Ching Hao is one of them, Artemisia. Um, and even in some of the milder cases, I'm giving Shingren, which is an apricot kernel, because it helps to descend the lung chi and it can help to clear some, it can help to like soften the stools to help clear some heat from the lungs through the bowels. So we use the bowels if somebody's constipated to get some of the inflammation that builds up out of the lungs. But that inflammation, is coming from the body. The pathogen's not a heat pathogen. So that's why we don't want to just throw anti-heat substances at it right away because it's cold. Um, so you're throwing anti-heat, you're adding more cold to the system. If you're depleted, if you're over-exercising, if you're burning the candle at both ends, if you're not sleeping, if whatever, and, you're, and you've drained yourself, that sets up a perfect um, scenario for some cold to enter into the body. So, um, so the herbal, the herbal ingredients are basically designed to tonify the spleen chi, to maintain the chi dynamic of the lungs. Um, there is a little bit to clear heat, but not a lot. And like with patchouli, it's warming. Um, one of the main herbs they're using is called guanzhong and um, I can't even get that right now. That's a cold herb, but the way that it works is useful for this particular pathogen. So 
the, the thing with, I think that people want to run out and buy antiviral and antimicrobial herbs and start taking them. The thing about that is that just taking antimicrobial herbs, what you could be doing is killing off beneficial bacteria in the gut that's going to help you fight stuff off, mm -hmm. right? Because some of these antimicrobials are broad spectrum, just like Cipro's broad spectrum or... or just like uh, you know, from a, an algae everybody could draw from like like um like hand sanitizer you know like just like it's like something that would be a little bit easier for people to understand where it, like it's just all encompassing it doesn't only just right. bad bacteria it kills all bacteria that's right so it's like and, you know, all these formulas and you know, like when yeah. you say that like the thing that comes to my my mind especially is you know because people are feeling desperate right like 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 people want to be doing something you know like like well what should i take i want to be able to buy something if i take something then at least I'm helping, I'm hedging the bet. But, you know, sometimes less is more, you know, and this might be yeah. one of those prime examples you know, is. is like, you know, just, you know, you know, eat local, shop local, you know, like I said, stay yeah. at home, you know, de-stress yourself, ground yourself, you know, bring yourself back to a place of like homeostasis and kind of allow your body to go through it on its own. Because, you know, it's something that we talked about before that I know so many people who are hyper stressed out about this situation because they won't put down their phone. They continually look on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, they're continually watching the news and they're just frazzled. You know, like yeah. I was in the, in the back country with my daughter, we were four kilometers deep into the mountains and we came across this, this woman and she jumped into the trees and we were walking down the path. I didn't even think anything of it. And she started yelling at us. And she's like, get out of my bubble, get out of my bubble. And I'm like, I didn't even really realize what she was talking about at the beginning. So we just kept on walking. And I'm like, who's this crazy person? <laughs> just like, people are dying over this. You're not even taking it seriously. And I was like, well, I'm like, you know, because you're so frazzled like that, I'm like, you're beating, beating your immune system down more yeah. than if we just kind of like briskly passed each other you know, maybe like a few feet apart so far into the backcountry, like that person's chronically walked around stress like that. And I think a lot of people forget to draw those conclusions too, is that, you know, like we can also throw ourselves underneath the bus because again, with the amount of information that's coming out now and, you know, like it's all people talk about, there's no level of comfort to it anymore. You know, like when you talk to people, it's like, I feel like we're having a pretty comfortable conversation about it. But I would say it's very irregular to have this kind of conversation about COVID-19 with the average person because like people, it just, it pulls people in, you know, to like the vicious cycle of becoming so stressed out and so inundated with this information that like, um, like I, I see it, like people are just, they're losing sleep over it. They're making yeah. poor food choices now, you know, like yeah. they're isolating themselves like inside their home, even when it's nice and sunny outside, they're not even like you know, opening up the windows to get some fresh air, right. like, you know, like all of these different things that, um, you know, like I see are just the f wheels further coming off the bus. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, where do you feel safe? The only place you can feel safe is with your own breath mm -hmm. in your own body. So it comes back to what, what are you going to do for self-care in the midst of this? Put the phone down, get off of Facebook, take a break from the news, give yourself, your body, the opportunity 
to reset, the opportunity to dissipate the charge from these weeks of stress. And depending upon where you are in the world right now, your um, processing of what's happening is going to be dependent upon that, right? So it's like people are going through stages of grief here and being in New York State, they closed most things down two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister in Hawaii, just, they started closing things down like last week. Yeah. So I see, I'm seeing that like she's at a different stage of processing it. She's at the stage I was at three weeks ago when I real, cause I real, I've been following this and I knew that this was going to be kind of the direction we were going to go on. I knew we were going to end up getting at, at least asked to stay in our houses, if not mandated. Um, so, you know, there, there are stages of grief you have to go through. Like being a small business owner, I had to close the doors. I'm, I'm doing online consults and stuff like that, but it's not the same as being able to go to the office. I mean, especially if you love what you do, it's, it's a hard thing. Um, people that are, you know, week to week cannot necessarily afford what's happening right now. People that have been trying to get unemployment for weeks already and, and have no word because the system is so backed up on whether they're going to get it or not. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stress right now mm-hmm. and we have to, It's like we have to practice tough love with our own mind and make ourselves chill out for just a little while each day. Yeah. Um, And, and then after coming through, you know, those, those initial processes where there's like disbelief, there's shock, there's, it's almost, it's almost traumatizing in a way, or it is (laughs) not just in a way. And then, you know, there's that sadness that comes and then there's some anger that comes and you can see these pulses happening. Even if you're following social media, you're seeing, um, especially on Facebook, like some of the people are getting really ticked off and they're, and you know, it's judging this person, like saying snarky things on someone's seemingly innocuous thread about something else entirely. It's like, there's a general unrest and no one quite knows what to do with it. And we all need to take it down a notch. We all need to scale back a notch. It's like we, we were asked to stay in our houses and more than ever, we're trying to go outside of them however we can without going outside. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's not what this is about. I mean, we can use this as an opportunity on some level. I'm not, minimizing the the difficulty of it in any way shape or form believe me i've had my moments and i'm sure i'll have more but um we do need to to scale back a little bit because even that little bit is going to help to calm the nervous system down and put us more in a state of rest and digest instead of a state of fight or flight Mm -hmm. if you're in rest and digest you're able to process not just the food that you're eating, but the byproducts of the cellular metabolism that happens in the tissues. You're able to sleep better Mm -hmm. and 
you're able to allow the body to detoxify itself naturally on a daily basis. If you're not allowing yourself to rest like that, it just throws everything out of whack. If you're not allowing yourself to center, if you're not allowing yourself to disconnect from the constant jibber jabber of the news only focused on one thing or the social media posts and you let yourself get sucked into that drama constantly nonstop, it's toxic. It's a form of toxicity to the system. It's not just that, you know, if you're not eating organic and eating the right way, that that's the only way you're going to get toxins. You get toxins from your own body manufacturing too much of certain chemicals that are keeping you in fight or flight or making you feel angry and anxious. And that needs to be balanced. That's an, if, if you're feeling excessively drawn to continuously picking up your phone and looking at Facebook or Instagram or whatever, Twitter, or you're feeling continuously drawn to watching the news, that's when you know you need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta be the parent to your own mind. You know, see, and I think like those, like they're, they're really good points because there's nobody really saying that because if anything, like these media sources are saying the opposite, make sure you get your daily update, make sure you're watching this, you know, make sure you're up to date on the information, you know, it's changing all the time, you know, it's changing by the minute, it's changing by the hour, it's changing by the day, like, so it kind of sucks you into the vortex of like, wanting to and having to stay glued to your TV, glued to your phone, because you know, most people feel like they don't want to miss out on, you know, like the information that's, that's coming out there, you know, and nobody really willing to be able to put like authentic research, you know, into it saying, okay, well, you know, like, what do I need to know? You know, like you said for yourself, like you spent the time like researching it, like we sit down and talk about it to offer another perspective to it instead of saying like, Hey, you know, maybe skip the, the media releases today and focus on doing some meditation, bringing yourself down clearing out the electronics, shutting it all down and making it easier for everybody to be able to deal with it and then go back is, you know, you might be able to process that information better. You know, you might be able to take something out of it that you wouldn't before you might you know, get yourself out of fight or flight, you know, and you know, like the part that like that you brought up, you know, a few minutes ago is that, you know, with people being so stressed out with being off work and not having, you know, money is, you know, obviously something that we're all feeling or are going to feel, you know, very rapidly here. Well, what's the number one um, reason why that people start to eat bad as well? Emotional stress, physical stress, you know, and these things that we're going to feel, everybody's now going to be in a low socioeconomic category. It's not just like, you know, neighborhoods that are falling to it. We have countries and we have entire um, continents that are falling into a low socioeconomic status now that can't afford to buy food so it's gonna be like hot dogs and craft dinner for everybody unless they're yep. making some like better choices it's like well in my mind what I was looking at is that if it gets down to hot dogs and craft dinner and sea rations for everybody what can you also do to be able to help combat that it's like well you know you can't eat all the crappy food and on top of that still be super stressed out you know if we have to start minimizing the amount of like healthy options that we have, because maybe those healthy options aren't going to be available or we can't afford them. We're going to have to do more things like get away from the phone, get away from the TV, meditate, you know, like do some, you know, like, like Qigong style workouts or Tai Chi or whatever your workout may be, or like something 
you know, read a book, learn something new, get your mind and distracted or sleep a little bit more. These things, because we might be stacking the cards against ourselves in ways that we can't prevent. So the ways that we can prevent them, we need to be identifying what these are to be able to help eliminate that stress from our body and that taxation on our immune system as well. Right. Absolutely. That's an excellent point because it is cheaper to eat things that aren't as healthy. That's the unfortunate reality of it. So eat things that are healthy now and do your best to center yourself and give your, your own internal pharmacy the space and the ability to regulate itself well. Because we, you know, we might be in that position. Limit. Yeah, go ahead. Would you almost say, and like, I say this based on my personal opinion, literature I've read, narratives I've heard, but maybe just kind of throw in like how you feel about it. Do you think because of like the, the benefits that we receive from like fasting and or calorie restriction, time restricted eating, you know, like intermittent fasting, like whatever you want to label this is, but just eating fewer calories. Would right now putting yourself in a little bit more of a calorie deficit, but eating better quality foods, but intentionally doing that, could that be something that could help benefit our immune system right now and benefit us overall from helping fight this virus? Or, you know, like what would be, you know, kind of like a narrative around that? Because I know that fasting and intermittent fasting, time restricted eating, all these different uh, methodologies, like people are interested and intrigued in these right now. Is there any way that we could kind of help steer people down a road based on something they're already interested in in conjunction with something that, you know, like say, okay, well, if you're going to do some, you know, um, some fasting, you know, maybe fast one day a week right now to be able to intake better quality food on the other six days, or would it be better to do like 12 hour fast each day right now? In, you know, in conjunction with eating better quality food during that other 12 hours? Like, is there any, is there any play there to help um, set people up in the right direction? Well, as far as the like 12 hour fast goes, that's one of the re- reasons that I recommend not eating at night because the body metabolizes things differently by dark than it does during the day. And it, we become more insulin resistant at night as far as the digestion goes. So if you stop, like if you have dinner at like five or six o'clock and then you're not eating again till seven, eight in the morning or whenever you have breakfast, then you're already getting a fast in and you're not doing it in a way that's taxing to the body. I think to answer like the first part of your question that it's very person specific. If you're in a chronic state of fight or flight, your body your body will need more to keep it going. Mm-hmm. So you may need more fats and oils and protein. You may need more carbs because your body is just, your metabolism is just going to be going crazy. Um, if you're feeling like you can, if you feel pretty centered and calm, you feel pretty good. You feel like you're managing the stress well associated with this. There's not a lot of stress in your household and you're able to take time for, for yourself on a regular basis. And you have plenty of resources as far as food goes, just in case you need it, then, and you want to do an intermittent fast. Well, now is 
is a great time to do that. Um, I wouldn't go overboard with it and I would, you know, stay in contact with people about it so that, you know, you have the ability to bounce the ideas you're having about it off of someone else. Or if you start to experience certain detox reactions or um, any reactions at all, that you're able to discuss that with other people that are knowledgeable about it. But I would say it's very person specific. As long as you feel like you're in a really good place and you have some reserves that as both energetically and like physical food reserves that you can turn to, then uh, if you need them, then I think that that's perfectly fine thing to do right now. I just let a cleanse. Yeah. I had 10 people just do a cleanse. And I mean, even in the midst of everything that's going on, you know, like a gal that drinks a glass of wine uh, a few times a week, just totally didn't do it. And in one of the most stressful times in our collective history, um, she was able to do that. And a financial advisor who is, you know, stressed to the max with people calling about their investments and whatnot. He just did a cleanse. He cut out coffee. He cut out everything uh, that he, that comfort food. So, I mean, it is a, it is a good time to do it again, if you feel mentally and emotionally able to process it, it shouldn't be an extra thing that you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Another, uh, something that we kind of like, you know, I think we were talking about this before we started recording and, you know, maybe if we didn't, we've covered so much, so, so it's hard to keep track, but, um, do you think that this is like a really good time for people to kind of gut check themselves and us to gut check ourselves as a society uh, for lifestyle diseases that we choose to have, you know, based on how we live our lives, especially here in the West? Yeah, I think that, I think that it is. I just don't think that everybody is ready to go there yet. If it, so, and I guess to kind of clarify some of the things we're talking about, like, um, type two diabetes, you know, like heart disease, fatty liver disease, you know, maybe leaky gut could be in there too, maybe, um, you know, but just things that like, essentially, we choose to have through poor nutrition, you know, like poor diet, lack of exercise, you know, like all these things. Um, so we know that diabetes like has an inarguably, you know, I go, I guess I shouldn't say this. Diabetes has to this point and may not after this has killed more people than what COVID-19 has. Um, but that hasn't been a wake up call. We all typically know somebody with living with type two diabetes. That's not a wake up call. We've seen people do insulin shots and injection stuff. And that has been a wake up call. We hear about it from doctors all the time. We now know that if you are young and you have, you know, you could be in your thirties or forties, you have type two diabetes, you're obese, you know, now you're at high risk for, you know, COVID-19 and, you know, and possibly it could be fatal, you know, because you've had these underlying health conditions um, when you should not be. And like, and again, these are things by choice. If this doesn't do it, if I don't say, okay, me as a 35 year old or me as a 40 year old, I've chosen to have type two diabetes and all the other ailments that are going to come along with that. Now this thing called COVID-19 comes along and I've put myself intentionally in a high risk category for death. If these things aren't the wake up call for us, for us, what is? Like really, when it comes down to it, are we that ignorant as a species to say, this is killing people it doesn't need to kill because of how we choose to live our life and our poor quality life and our poor nutrition. 
there can't be anything more than death. Like there, there can't, you know, like, well, like, isn't it interesting to look at like our, our economy worldwide is collapsing and healthy or people who should be healthy are dying because they're not. But like you said, and I believe what you said, I don't know if this will be the wake up call either, but if it's not, isn't that scary? That's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. It <laughs> is. Mean, it, it, you don't even know what to say past that though, right? But again, like, it comes down to the mind and being the parent for your mind. Like if you're someone who just regardless of factual information decides to continue with habitually living in such a way that statistically leads to X, Y, or Z. That's, that's a problem of the mind. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like the, the Eastern medicine saying that the, the, the disease is, is easy. It's the patient. Yeah. So, I think I just froze on. Yeah, we we lost you after the disease. The disease is easy as the patient. That's hard. We lost you for a minute after that. Yeah, yeah, and that's because of the nature of the mind, and that's why I find so much comfort in going into Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and um, other source texts from the from the spiritual traditions around the world because they contain so much wisdom about you know, we have to really be questioning not just information that comes from the outside, but information that we tell ourselves on the inside, questioning our, our beliefs and our attachments and our aversions, because we aren't our emotional body, and we aren't our mental body. And and getting to know what our patterns are emotionally and and knowing our reactions and our beliefs mentally and questioning those things is is very very important and and that is what even the lifestyle behaviors that you're talking about need to to come down to i mean it needs to come down to people questioning themselves and not relying on the study that says that if you're obese, you're just as healthy as someone who isn't. Yeah. Um, it has to come down to listening to one's self and anchoring into your own body, anchoring into your own sense of knowing and truth and wisdom beyond what beliefs are or someone else is telling you. Um, even with this situation, it's like with the thing about the masks, like it's common sense that if we all had access to them, that we should all be wearing them right now. In the Spanish flu in 1918, they all covered up their faces and, and they wore masks. Mind you, the virus may have gotten through it, but still it, it, it may have inhibited exposure to it in some way shape or form but instead we're choosing to just believe whatever the fact is that comes out that day on the news and so maybe that's even a reason to stop watching the news for a day or two you know you're not going to miss anything 
Uh, well, and, you, and the one thing that I was saying to somebody um, yesterday too is that if we investigated any one thing that was bad, you know, like like any disease or virus, we would continually every day find things that are progressively worse about it. Like that's just par for the course, you know, but like since there's so many people like investigating this virus, so many healthcare professionals, scientists, you know, like, you know, that they're missing this. There's always something new that's coming out of why this is bad and something that we should change. And, you know, like that is part of the problem. And I feel like because this society that we live in today, there, there also wants to be that person that, found the cure or puts out the right information and you know and all that kind of stuff where it's like you know but then again like you like you said like how many different directions do we constantly get pulled in instead of just walking down you know like one consistent lane you know like where you probably yeah. like the spanish flu i guarantee you back then there was one information source and one kind of perspective that people followed and that was it you know whether or not it was the best or not you just had people following a certain system and you had everybody doing that. So there was going to be a benefit to that to some extent, you know, but now because we're like, say constantly inundated with information and people wanting to be the hero of the day, you know, like things just constantly change. And like you brought up a great point, you know, maybe that alone is the best way to say, okay, I'm going to take a day out like every couple of days just to cleanse myself of the information yeah. And then hop back in into the news cycle and kind of see where we're at. I even have to do that with looking at, you know, the information coming out from my Chinese medicine colleagues because it's too much up here. Yeah. Right. There needs to be that anchoring. There needs to be the centering. And I know personally when I give myself the opportunity to do that, that I process things so much differently, so much more efficiently that I have really good insights that come from allowing for that space. Even Einstein would do that. You know, he'd go for a walk or mm -hmm. do something out in nature just to clear his mind so that the insight could come through. And I think that that's really important for all of us right now. And to really get to the core of what our truth is, you know, to, to uh, get back to ourselves, to get back to, um, the fact that we are all in interconnected and that we are not only all interconnected to one another, um, not just economically, but emotionally and, and, and even physically, but we're connected um, to the earth and to all of the processes that happen um, in nature and that we are actually nature. And there are innumerable topics that I feel that I hope will be discussed as a result of this. I think that um, some of us are discussing them right now, and I think that um, for the for the most part, that they they may not be so globally well received at the moment because everyone's in a different stage of processing what's happening right now. But I think that, um, or I hope that after we start to come through this, um, you know, in a couple of months, maybe that, that these topics will be mm -hmm. on the, on the front page of, you know, whatever periodical or in the New York times or whatever it is, because they're all really important. Yeah. They're the most, yeah. 
Yeah, let me uh, ask you a question. If you don't feel comfortable walking down this road, like I completely understand. That's an interesting way to be able to set up a topic. But um, there it is. Now I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, you know, but like, um, arguably throughout the course of the history of biological organisms from their most rudimentary extent all the way up into where we're at today there's always been things like this that have happened and there's a certain element to it that like we just can't stop it so do you think that when we prevent things like this from happening do you think that when we find ways to be able to live longer, you know, like live 90, 100, 110, 120, you know, we live longer with like diseases that would have killed people off before, or like these viruses that come along that just kind of like, you know, naturally, you know, like, um, like kill off a, like a bunch of people who are, are sick or can't handle their immune systems, can't handle it. Uh, do you think it's ultimately like to our detriment as like a global society, because we all are interconnected, all of us biological entities on this road from dirt to grass, to a fish in the ocean, to water, to human beings, to bats, like we are all interconnected that the more that human beings overpopulate the earth, that it actually is to our detriment and things like this are just going to keep on getting like worse and worse and worse. Uh, yeah, I don't see why not. <laughs> it makes yeah. perfect sense that they would. It's yeah, not, you know, this like, isn't going to happen again. And yeah, it, yeah. To have 7 billion people, 7 billion human beings on this planet, you know, and I think one of the things, because the reason why I, I say this to you is also because I think that one of the positives that could come out of this COVID-19 is getting people, if they're going to eat meat, to eat nose to tail and not just select choice cuts of something because i have a hard time with people criticizing chinese people saying like well it's because they eat all these things and it's like if canada or the united states had as many people as china does i guarantee you that either a we would have probably killed the planet with the amount of commercial beef farming and pork farming and poultry farming that we have because we are already kind of doing that with like these commercial um operations anyway and our health is massively deteriorating because of you know commercial beef commercial poultry and commercial pork uh, production but that's the reason why people in china eat all these things because there's too many people to feed or there's not too many people there's so many people to feed they have to express other food sources you know which i connect with because i've always been the guy that's ate crocodile or kangaroo or elk heart or you know like squirrel or you know like something like ibl these because i look at them as potential food sources not taboo things that we shouldn't be eating right. you know so you know when we look at like where does it get to a point where you know now we're you know people are getting direct iv nad infusions to help live to 110 and 120 you know like there's all these people you know who are living in like you know extended care facilities and like hospitals and stuff that are like taxing this healthcare system that like typically up into this point in time, or, you know, maybe within the last 50, 60 years, you know, would, you know, would have already passed away, you know, like the, there's a lot of taxation on our planet, you know, and we're really trying to like curb it all. Like, is there a point in time where we kind of just have to let natural selection run its course? Well, you know, I don't know. I think that, 
right now, to some extent, we're seeing that we don't have control over that, right? We, right now, we don't have a choice. There are, you know, people that are passing from this, and there's not a damn thing that we can do about it. Mm-hmm. So, and we've seen this throughout our history with plague, with the 1918 flu, um, with Ebola that crops up every now and, and again. There are things that are there that are going to emerge from time to time, and that is going to play a role in, of course, you know, decreasing the population. Um, I just, I think that we don't have a lot of control over it. Nature is beautiful and amazing and one of the hardest things to deal with. At the a same time, wild beast, yeah, an absolute wild beast, and we're part of it. We're subject to it. Mm-hmm. We are an aspect of it, and um, that's the yin and the yang of of existence. Mm-hmm. Is the the beauty and the life and the the fear and, and death. I mean, those those are the things that we're walking on that razor's edge in between and. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, we're not, the only thing we have control over is our ability to focus on our own breath. Mm -hmm. And I, as a, as a species, the ability to be able to prioritize nature as a caretaker for it. Yep. And, you know, throughout this thing, people have been bringing up, for example, climate change and how perhaps that may be unleashing other pathogens into the uh, atmosphere, into the environment that we may be exposed to. And and that remains to be seen, but um, it's possible, right? So, Maybe well, whether by- there's like whether there's climate change for whatever reason people want to believe that's responsible like you know simply that because we have a lot of glaciers here in bc and, and a lot of scientists from around the world you know come to bc especially within the whistler region to be able to study like our glaciers because the age of them the thickness of them you know and they take samples like core samples of this and they find like these viruses and these you know pathogens stuff like living in the ice that like they say, like, there's, there's so many trillions of them, you would never even be able to understand, like, how big, like, the number is of how many, like, viruses and bacteria and pathogens are trapped in these glaciers. And it may be different geographically, you know, like, where the glaciers here versus the glaciers in Siberia versus the glaciers in the Andes, you know, like, just all of these, like, you know, different places house all that. So, like, there is to some extent like these things coming online, you know, and like where you kind of see like storms have got worse, you know, viruses are kind of, you know, getting, you know, like worse again. Like we see the world, it seems like there's going to be like another like meteor, you know, air quotes, like, you know, kind of hit our planet, you know, because we are brewing like the perfect cocktail for it. You know, like we know that when people have congregated in mass urban centers, that's when viruses and disease hit the hardest. You know, and now we have cities of tens of millions of people, 
you know, and again, like, you know, like this is when we know it's going to happen. Plus we have like these historic ancient, you know, like prehistoric diseases and viruses that are going to come out of these glaciers. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen. This might just be like a really small window into something that's inevitably going to come, you know, maybe in the next 10 years, hundred years or thousand years, but it's like something's coming down the pipe. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and we're poisoning our food supply too. Yep. Right. On top of it, like we're not, we don't all have access to healthy food. Yeah. And your definition of healthy might be dependent upon what study says GMOs are safe or not. But from an Eastern medicine standpoint, if it's adulterated, it's not natural. If it's, you know, the pesticides are another form of AMA. I mean, all this stuff that we're constantly, even the Wi-Fi. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of information that's coming out about 5G even, and we don't have a choice. It's just going to happen. I mean, we as the average person doesn't have a choice when a tower gets set up. Mm-hmm. Um and it's actually know. funny that you brought that up about the food though, because I actually heard something about this a few days ago is that the question that was posed to me is that, and I pose this question to you, is that are we better off now in this virus like state than like what we have historically? So historically, we may have not had the Western medicine advances that we have now, but we had better quality food back then for everybody you know, or are we better off now having more advancements in Western medicine, but poor quality food for the masses? It's an interesting question, eh? I think, I think, yeah, I think, you know, that it needs to be in the middle of the road there. (laughs) We need that quality food and we need the, the technology and the advances in, in modern medicine. Yeah. Um, And we need to, have a balanced approach to living as well Mm -hmm. yeah it would like it it'll be nice if this actually has and we were talking about that like what are the positive changes you know like are we gonna get away from the 60 hour work weeks the 50 hour work weeks you know are we gonna get down to having four day a week work weeks or maybe six hour work days or like all these things these concepts that have been like kicked around and you know like where you mentioned climate change you know now all these all the people who are you know environmentalists or like labeled as environmentalists now they have a lot of data what happens when industry shuts down globally like the effect that has like you know like you know like look at the um like the in italy you know like the the canals and the waterways you know where like they're so clear now you know and you know like there's dolphins swimming back in the water or you know just like less smog like i don't know if you've seen the pictures of la but the smog levels are way down like like all these things, like, I don't think we could deny any longer, like the negative impact that we're having on the earth, but also the negative impact that we're having, like on ourselves and kind of like what our society promotes, you know, like, are we going to make the changes, you know, to be able to say, get back to that balance, like what you were just talking about, where we have the balance between technology, Western medicine, and, you know, healthy <laughs> living and healthy eating. Like, this is kind of like a window into saying, like, we do need to prioritize these things. And now we have the option and availability availability to either walk down that road or turn a blind eye to it because no government wanted to start that chain reaction, but now every government has to, like we're all in the same boat. Like all of our economies are going to be garbage by the time that this, you know, turns around anyway. So if we're going to make some kind of change on, on a mass scale, like this would be the time. 
it would be. It's a perfect opportunity to do it. Um, yeah. And I hope that some governments do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I doubt they all will. Yeah. <laughs> My own to be specific. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I would, I would, that would be ideal. Yeah. And it, and it, it, I mean, it comes down to, again, our minds and what we place our value in most. Like if you place your value most on personal freedom, then you're one of the people outside, you know, jogging with your friends right now who won't move to the other side of the street if I'm out on my sidewalk with my daughter. Yeah. You're one of the people that are playing basketball in the basketball court and then going home, you know, with your to live with your extended family and potentially um, being a carrier for this illness. So it really it it comes down to individuals really assessing what's important in life which is and i only look at this with maybe the wrong lens you know and and if you feel differently feel free to correct me if i'm wrong typically when we have faced something and i'm only looking at this from like wartime scenarios more (laughs) than anything um we've had to collectivize we've had to come together we've had to band together we've had to brothers in arms you know like you know like nurses helping the arm like we you had to come together as a society physically this is the first time that i can think of where like we're ever in a spot where we have to come together apart and like we have to be separate we have to isolate ourselves to be able to come together and do we even think that way like do we even connect with that because like our first like intense emotions are to gravitate towards other people mm-hmm. in times of need, be physically close, like physically responsive, like that, like those are primal urges in us. And now we're having to fight and combat that, but for the same goal, but we're not really set up for success as emotional human beings for that environment. And again, that's, that's our minds and our emotions and being able to be comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah absolutely absolutely maybe these are some uh, some great food for thought points to be able to wrap this up and to leave everybody chewing on some pretty thick social fat when they can uh <laughs> they can leave from this and stuff because there's some pretty pretty heavy topics to be able to throw out at everybody there and stuff and um i seen um that your book is up for uh pre-sale your new book. Yes. Yeah. It's due out on September 8th. Yeah. Throw it out there. Can, can you pre oh, you can do all the pre-orders now, you know, like throw yeah. it out there. I, I seen it and I was so happy to be able to see it when I was. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. There's there. Yeah. It's called cultivating your microbiome mm-hmm. and it's about what the microbiome is and about what the Eastern medicine and modern scientific recommendations are for cultivating a healthy microbial environment both in and on the body Mm. and um how to go about doing that and so um it's coming out september 8th and it's through inner traditions baron company as a publisher it's for pre-order right now through them through amazon and through barnes and noble yeah and the nice thing when you pre-order something is you'll get it that day it's not like they'll ship it September 8th. You might even get it on the 7th. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but that is going to be 
a really good resource for people, I think, to help them understand, you know, the number one thing that, that I think is important for us to understand is, is our interconnectedness and the fact that we are nature. Yeah. Right. And uh, with that, there's good and there's bad. And, and this microbiome topic, this new research that's coming out is really going to shift the scientific paradigm and our collective beliefs about like who and what we are I feel because there's there's no way it can't like we can't just look at coronavirus and be like viruses are all bad yeah because that's not the case yeah um and without some of them potentially I know I know a lot of microbes bacteria that you know are beneficial in the body they don't have a lot of research on the virome or the collective viruses in the bacteria yet, but I'm sure they'll be finding some information out about those um, as, as they continue to research. And so um, well, and just, some, some viruses can also turn on dormant genes, you know, so like yeah. what, what good viruses or maybe even bad virus, good or bad viruses could plug in to our dormant genes that need to be turned on for positive reasons that could combat xyz or help in xyz categories like yeah. there's just, there's so much that we don't know you know like right. just, we're these biological entities and we just we know probably like one star in the galaxy worth of information about who we are what we are and how we function right 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 yeah, yeah. and then i also put a little bit of information about coronavirus in there because i'm in the editorial process in the midst of everything else that's happening and um one of the formulas that uh, they use to help regulate the structure in the body called the MOUN or the membrane source um, is, is a formula that's being modified in China to, to, uh, to give people that are COVID positive. So, Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it just happened to fit, you know, in that place in the book and, and um, some other little bit of information as well in the preface, but um so yeah, so that I'm looking very forward to, and I I'm uh, when when this all gets kind of sorted out, I'm gonna focus on uh, developing a program that goes alongside of that book for helping people to cultivate their their microbiomes. And then um, in the meantime, I'm uh, I'm doing some classes online. I've been doing some Facebook lives to help educate people about Chinese medicine and uh, external pathogens and lung health, and um, doing some online consultations and things like that. So, awesome. and that's all through uh, uh, Aegis Acupuncture website or Bridget Shea Books. Uh, Both of those websites are linked. So there's agelessinsaratoga.com is my clinic's website. And then my author website is bridgetshea.com. And um, there are actually, um, we just put up some, I did a course over the holidays about grounding to help your nervous system stay, you know, calm in the midst of holiday stress, because that's a, that's a time when a lot of stuff comes up. A lot of people have like family stuff that comes up, you know, emotionally for them. 
Um, there are a lot of obligations, schedules get very hectic and people get out of their routines and it's very uprooting. So I did this six week series where we did a grounding meditation for 20 to 30 minutes in the beginning. And then there'd be a talk after that about how to anchor oneself in the midst of troublesome times. And so what we've done is we've broken each of those classes down into an audio file and those are available in the shop on my site. So you could, you don't have to do like the, all of them, but if you're interested in doing a grounding meditation and getting some reinforcement um, just to help your own resiliency to the stress with the discussion that follows, then I would highly recommend checking that out. And, and you can just substitute, you know, what we're talking about in terms of like holiday stress for, for this situation that we're all encountering right now, because the, the exercises and the information at the end of the day are exactly the same things you do for this, that you would do for anything that, that makes you feel more anxious or, or spacey or ungrounded. Um, or it's actually where I got the, um, the idea for like the topic when I said, I wanted to talk about grounding to be able to help calm your CNS um is because when i was on your website i seen that you did that course yeah. and stuff, so that's why i brought it up so i was just like what a great transfer right it is it's completely valid you know for situations and times like these too so yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. awesome and it's uh on social media it's uh at bridget shea books and at ageless acupuncture right yep yep awesome. Well, yeah and you so if you want to like if you want to like the ageless acupuncture page on facebook that's where I broadcast the Facebook lives when I do them. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's actually a really good point for people. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank I always you. appreciate it as usual. Me too. Thank you.